welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Molly Ponpadith, with the SOAR Community Network. And today we have Nancy Verdon with us. Nancy is a suicide attempt survivor who is passionate about sharing hope. She is an author, mental health and recovery advocate, and founder of Always the Fight Ministries. Nancy's mission is to reach those who struggle with mental illness addiction, or abuse with a positive message and to encourage people in supportive roles. She speaks to these issues as only one who has been there can. Thank you so much, Nancy, for being with us. Thank you, Molly. I really appreciate being here. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank you in advance for taking on taking us on such a personal journey and for your courage to support and advocate for others who might be in the midst of their journey. So I appreciate your courage and your bravery and really honor that you're spending time with us to help our leaders from across the globe tap into what's most important and how precious life is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. I appreciate that very much. So what what was your journey like? And before you, we share the story, um, the depths of your story, you know, what was, what was it that allowed you or helped you to choose that you wanted to be a mental health and recovery advocate? Like, you could have chosen anything else. You could have chosen to do nothing. And yet you've <laughs> chosen this path. So what yeah. were some of the inspirations behind Uh, moving in this direction professionally? Well, I'll tell you what. um, I think it's in my blood. (laughs) I have been, uh, well, first of all, I'm a a person of faith. I'm a Christian. And so I have been in some sort of ministry or another all my life. So I have, for whatever reason, leaned toward taking care of the underdog. And it's important to me that people feel loved and that they know they have options. In the past, I have used whatever situation that is, you know, relatable to me to reach out and help other people, to teach and that sort of thing. But when this happened to me, and by this I mean major depression, which was has been throughout my adult life, I... I realized that there was a group of people out there, a very large group of people out there. Uh, Prince Harry calls it a very large club, I think is how he called it, Um, of people who have struggled with mental illness and not been understood and have not received the encouragement that they deserve and are not receiving the message (laughs) that that we can stay alive, we can manage this disease. So it is important to me, I think, just kind of a natural step to go from, oh, I had this experience, now I can help people this way. 
So can you then take us on your journey? So you, when you said this, you, you were speaking of depression, and we're talking about mental illness, and we're talking about just the, the need for us to have these bold conversations of the reality of what's happening in our world, that we individually um, have challenges in life and struggle through them. Can you share with us what you went through, and why did you choose, how did you choose Um, or what were the circumstances surrounding the suicide attempt? Sure. Well, I often tell people that major depression for me is recurrent. And I remember my first episode was probably at 16, but the one that I now know, because I've been through it a few times, I can definitely point to age 19 as having been a serious episode of major depression, but I didn't know back then what it was. I thought I was flawed. <laughs> I thought there was something wrong with me. And I beat myself up over that for, for several years. The next time I had an episode that was, I would say, major was when I was 26 years old. And I started therapy then, but I did not get any medications. So depression I guess, past its time, you might say, and naturally came to an end, but it helped a lot to have someone to talk to. And then it was 17 years, Molly, it was 17 years before I had another major episode. In between times, I'd had episodes, but they were not, in my personal opinion, they they were manageable even before I knew how. So here I am, um, 40, well, see, I would have been 44 years old, and I'm being put in the hospital for the first time. And I was in and out of the hospital, and that's when they started me on medications. And I started to learn how medications can make a difference. I received some therapy, but nothing adequate. And I, it stopped, it stopped after like six months. So time went on, and then at 49, I found myself in a new state, in a new city, zero friendships, zero support system. I was there with my husband, who was not supportive, and he was the only one I had out there that I even knew. (laughs) And um, I saw struggles in our marriage that were hurtful, and I can't point to any one thing that, that causes my major depression. I think that's something we all are tempted to do, <laughs> is to say, oh, this event happened, and so that's why. But we really can't. Depression is very complex, and we are all complex. But in a combination of things, the depression just grew and grew and grew over a period of a year. And it was one year from the day that we moved, not the day, excuse me, one year from the month that we moved out there that I tried to take my life. I had a lot of hope placed in a marriage, in a relationship that was failed. And because I had placed my hope in that, and and it was temporary, I lost all hope when I came to fully realize that. So... What the part of the recovery process has been replacing that hope with more permanent things. Wow. So let me ask you these questions because this is so um, important to discuss. 
when you were in the midst of your pain in that very moment when you decided that you might want to end it all, what was going through your mind? Do you remember? Oh, I sure do. I sure do. And there are times that'll still bring me to tears, in fact, pretty easily, because it was the lowest moment of my life, surrounded by a lot of low moments, lowest moments of my life. And it was it was the end of all hope. It was the end of everything I'd ever thought my life would be. I had my faith. I tell people that depression messed with my thinking, not with my faith. So in that actual moment, my my reasoning, shall we say, rationale, had been compromised for some time because depression is so negative and so painful that after a while that becomes all you can see and everything else kind of just fades out. So I'm I'm there at that moment and I honestly believed in that at that time that, like I said, I'd been in some sort of ministry or another all my life. And at that time, I believed God couldn't use me here anymore, that he had no plan for me, that there wasn't anything good I could offer that anyone else couldn't offer better. And it was, but that was part of the hopelessness. In that very moment, I'm going to back up just a teeny bit, Molly, because this is actually the first time anybody's asked me this question. So I'm a little um, hesitant on how to explain it. So let me back up just a teensy, teensy bit. Back when I was 24 years old, I was in a dentist chair and having surgery. I had an experience at that time where I felt that I was in heaven with God and he sent me back to earth to this body and said, this is, this is just for a short time. I want you to live that life. And so when I came around to the suicide attempt in January of 2011, and I'm 49 years old, in that moment, I was thinking about that experience. And I said in prayer, God, is it time? Is that short time over? Can I come home now? And depression answered me and said, yes, I wanted to believe that that was, that was something I hoped to hear because I wanted to die. And so I acted on that. It was in the hospital later that somebody told me that wasn't God. (laughs) He wasn't telling you to take your life. And it's, It was hard to believe that at first. I guess one has to try and grasp just how irrational my thinking was at the time. So things that I had believed all my life were somewhat in question, like the sanctity of life, that sort of thing. And so when somebody's trying to tell me, God didn't say that to you, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Yes, he did. And I tried to attempt suicide again while I was in the hospital. Um... It, it was a long road out of all of that. And honestly, one of the most painful parts emotionally for me was feeling like I had that disconnect with God for the first time in my life. That there was some sort of uh, uh, guilt and blame, you might say, I put on myself that, oh, if I hadn't heard him right, then I could never hear him again. And that made me sad. Um, 
that did resolve itself over a period of months through therapy. And so that was, that was ha- what was happening in the moment. It was, it was a cry for spiritual help, um, but not in the way that I wanted help to live. So that's the best I can explain it. Mm-hmm. I honor you for sharing that. Thank you so much, Nancy. You mentioned that it was a long road out of it. And for those that are listening to this, and you and I talked about this before we press the record button, that a lot of our audience members are business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs and leaders. And when I got your bio to come on the show, I thought, well, every human being is a leader. They're leading their lives. They're impacting others, whether they believe that or not, they are. And I thought, you know, let's shake up our topic and bring you on and help us as individuals understand the power that we have and the preciousness of life and honoring wherever they are that there is hope. And when I saw that in your bio, I thought you were perfect to be vulnerable and to share your story, but to also give us hope as we lead our lives and do our very best to live the best versions of ourselves while we're here. So what I'd like to ask you, if it's all right, is to walk us through what it was like to leave that hospital um, after the two attempts and consciously decide that you were going to live and that there was hope for you? I would love to say that that was the day I walked out of the hospital, but it was not. Mm-hmm. I was there for uh, three, a total of three weeks. Some of that was for medical. Um, most of it was for psychological. And when I came out of the hospital, I had a serious death wish that had not been addressed, that had not gone away. Um, Of course, in hospitals, you don't get a lot of therapy. Now, that might not be true for people who stay long-term, but for short-term stays, that is true. You get some therapy, but it tends to be in groups, and you don't get any really a whole lot as an individual. And honestly, when someone is so depressed that they're willing to cross that line past your survival instinct... Two weeks of therapy isn't going to do it. (laughs) So I came out of the hospital with somewhat of the same mindset that I went in. I, I had gone in thinking, okay, I'll do my time, and when I come out, I'll finish what I intended. One thing that had changed. So when I left the hospital, I no longer thought that it was something God would okay. And since my focus is and has been for so much of my life on on honoring him, I guess. That was the number one stopper. When I tried to think about suicide, which I did a lot, (laughs) um, that was was the number one. What if he wouldn't approve of this? It it took a long time, and I guess what I'm saying about the long road out is that there was such a roller coaster ride. 
for 16 months before I was willing to turn around and say to the psychologist who saved my life, thank you and mean it. 16 months later, during all of those 16 months, I had been up and down and up and down and up and down. And I'd had very many days that I was suicidal and many more days that I had this serious death wish and was unhappy that I couldn't die. And, and it was therapists just pouring into me. You're valuable. You matter. Your life matters. This is a, this is a temporary thing. You can move on past this. But on the inside, I'm struggling with I don't want to matter. I want to be out of here. And that's something that is a little tough for folks to understand, I think. It's not and has not been for me a black and white recovery. Mm -hmm. You go from, oh, I really want to die to, oh, gee, that was a mistake. I really want to live. I've heard stories like that. I've heard people who have that switch. I'm grateful they have that switch. I'm very, very happy for, for them. And as I said, depression is complex and people are complex. But for me, I had taken such a huge step away from believing that I had a purpose on this earth to believing that I had none, that it was a huge climb out of that. It, was, it required a, an entire change of mind that one would like to think could just change back. But for me, it was I made the decision. I can't get back. I'm stuck down here. There was a lot of roller coaster, as I said. So, for instance, I might be in therapy one day and in my support group. When I refer to therapists with an S, I mean my, my individual therapist and then the one that I saw who led the support group I was in. So I might be in group, but I might tell everybody it's a great day. You know, I feel great. I, I have hope. This is what I plan to do with with my weekend. <laughs> this is what I plan to do with with the next month or whatever, whatever I could say. And then the very, very next day, or not even that day, the next day, it could be later that day, I'm sitting there trying to save my life because there's nothing more I want than to go away. The mood disorder was... Um, unpredictable in many ways. And what I learned in therapy was how to manage that, that I can expect it to be unpredictable sometimes and that I can also manage it and not become suicidal again. That was the long process out, learning that I could manage this, that I had options. I would say, I guess the first part of it was caring that I had options. And then learning that I could manage this. And then after that, some things had to really change. My worldview had to change. I had a in inbuilt, you might say, belief of my worthlessness that had to be addressed. And it was far beyond suicidal thinking and depression. It was deep. It had managed uh, to run a lot of my life. So, again, more years on that kind of thing. So that's what I mean when I say it's a long process. I didn't really get to that point you're describing where I felt like life was really worth it and I'm here for the long haul Mm -hmm. for probably over five years. 
So it's not something that was easily um, easily addressed by me, easily easily held on. I see. Wow. So Nancy, the work that you do today, you know, being the author, sharing your books, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, what's inside the contents of those books, but the work that you do today advocating for others and being the founder of Always the Fight Ministries, how has that impacted your healing? How, how does that relate back to your everyday step-by-step approach to life? Well, the, the first thing I would say is that I expected, and I think some might expect, that writing books would be a bit therapeutic. And that standing in front of people or talking on the radio or podcasts would be therapeutic. It's not worked out that way for me. For one thing, I feel almost separate, like my individual recovery and healing is over here on one side of the room, and my work with other people is on the other side of the room. So I can actually kind of walk away from my recovery for the time that I'm on the radio. I don't know if that makes any sense. I guess I could say I'm not focusing on my well-being at that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to your listeners and trying to um, be in your world for a little while. Mm-hmm. And what that does for me is that because I'm being so vulnerable with you, it takes me back to some things that are hard to hard to think about and hard to remember. Difficult, I should say. I, I remember them clearly, <laughs> but it's somewhat painful to go back there. I'm determined to be vulnerable and very, very revealing with people because the ones who are in it need to know they're not alone. And some of the thoughts and experiences that they're having, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Some of the thoughts and experiences that they're having is so intimate and so different from everybody around them that they can feel like they're just in this mess all by themselves. And I'm trying to explain it in the details that I can so that they feel that they are not alone, so that they hear what's going on in their head and understand that there's hope out of that. It's not therapeutic for me to talk about things. But on the flip side, that is what keeps me going. I have a desire to reach people. And I also feel a sense of obligation to these people. If I've shared these things and shared my hope with your audience and then turn around and um, not manage my major depression, then the fallout on your audience, whatever that might be, you know, um, the news that you might hear or uh, just, I don't know, the, the, the hope that I gave you all of a sudden seems like maybe it wasn't real. I feel responsible for that. So getting up every morning, some days when I just don't want to, <laughs> it goes beyond not wanting to face the day. Some, sometimes it's just like, no, why am I still here? And those thoughts will go through my mind, 
but I can address them in prayer, um, with, with spending time worshiping God. I can address them with asking myself very serious questions like, who do you want to be? What kind of a legacy do you want to leave behind? And those kinds of things will help me to get out of bed. And it may be a slower, not as a happy day, but I can keep managing this. I can keep moving. And that's my focus. Because there are people who I am obligated to, to keep going. And I want to keep ministering to people. So I hope that came out okay. It That's came what out I'm trying perfect. to explain. Yes, <laughs> it came out perfect. It's, it's, right. it's exactly where you are. And one thing that I read um, in your, your notes is, you know, it was very powerful for you, powerful for you when you started to believe, like you mentioned earlier, that maybe you were worth loving and accepting the humanness within yourself and also accepting the humanness in others. And that's such a beautiful thing, that that feeling of connection is what we all long for as human beings. And I really appreciate that you're so passionate about speaking to those who are struggling right now in this very moment, especially with what we know about what's happening in the world, not just in the U.S., in the world, of so many people who are in that such such a vulnerable state that suicide numbers are up, that feeling of isolation is up. And having these conversations are not easy. Having conversations on the radio where it's, you know, basically broadcasting out to the world and asking you to share this is also not easy for you. And it's definitely not easy for a host to, to, to go ahead and ask these questions, you know. You feel like you're stumbling. You feel like you don't want to say the wrong <laughs> things or ask the wrong things. And so yeah. I thank you for walking with me on this because I, I too am doing my very best to honor your journey so that we can honor everybody who's listening in their journey with whatever level of depression or fears or anxieties that might be happening in their life. So what I would like to do now, Nancy, is ask um, you to share a little bit about your um, programs uh, under the Always the Fight Ministries, what is available to support individuals and how might they reach out to you and find you? Okay, well, first of all, I have to lay out the, the very important qualification. I am not a therapist or a doctor. I am someone who has lived it. I do not offer any kind of therapy. I don't have any pamphlets or... or uh, <laughs> Uh, you might say business-like looking things that would actually lead you to my kind of help. Mm -hmm. I have only a message. It's, it's clear in all of my books, and it is clear on the website that my purpose is to share from my experience and from the experience of others I know and from some research that I do, I'm, I'm growing over the years. I mean, I started this five years ago. I know a lot more than I did five years ago. So I will share some of that information as well. But the purpose is always twofold. One is to reach out to the people who are struggling to know that they can live and that they can live in joy. For the other, the other point is to speak to supports. 
this is how you help your friend or loved one who is struggling. That Those are my two key reasons for running Always the Fight Ministries. Always the Fight Ministries consists of public speaking, radio podcasts, um, and ra- uh, broadcast radio and podcasts, uh, my three books. I write articles that have been published in a lot of different places, and my books. I already said my books. I apologize. <laughs> I meant to say my website. My blog is a twice-a-week thing that is extremely informative. So can you tell us what the titles of your books are so that they can um, go on the website and, and find them and learn more where they can purchase as well? Okay. Well, here's the interesting part. <laughs> my publisher went out of business back in January, so there is not actually a place to buy them anymore. There may be one or two copies left on Amazon. I'm not sure what's left there, but of course they can't get more. So I have copies, uh, paperback copies here. People can ask me for a paper uh, copy and I will send it to them. Okay. Uh, What I also have is one of my books is already downloadable on my website and the two others are coming very, very soon. So the one that is on the website right now is called They Were Real. And it is full of short stories of Bible characters and kind of taking a key moment of their lives and what they may have been experiencing emotionally. So that's something the Bible doesn't really get into a lot. We, We tend to have surface relationships with the Bible characters. And this way, they're pulled out a little bit from the pages. It's, it's fictionalized. Um, so these aren't exact things that, that we know happened to them, but it is a moment in time, you might say, in each of their lives, what they may have been thinking. Called to Live is the first book I wrote. And the very interesting part about this is that it started, I started writing it in the hospital when I was so, 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 so uncaring about life or anything. A psychiatrist handed me a journal and a pen and said, write. She didn't know me. She didn't know I enjoy writing. So that was very cool. Um, But at the time, it didn't seem cathartic to me. It was just, I'm writing all this down. What I had no idea is that it would become a book one day. But that journal continued throughout one year, and I and I recorded what I what I was experiencing throughout a year, and that ended up being the book called To Live. It's a powerful insight into a major depressive episode that was written as it was happening and not in hindsight. So in that way, I think it's very powerful. It is also very full of hope for anyone who has who is going through that to see that it's okay to be ambivalent. It's okay to have those ups and downs. We can still keep going forward. And for supports or anyone who wants to understand what it's like for their loved one, this will give you some idea. The third book is called Always the Fight. So that's where Always the Fight Ministries came from. Um, The Always the Fight book is a more faith-filled one, talking about the sovereignty of God. Where is he when we're suffering, and how can we address suffering 
in 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 the context of faith it has a ten the book has a strong tendency to lean towards the struggling of someone with major depression but it touches on suffering as a whole as well wow thank you so much nancy thank you for being with me today and to share this with me and also for those that are interested in um, connecting with you and your story and your content the website is always thefight.com and you can also find nancy through her facebook uh, at Always the Fight Ministries. I really value your time with me today and your sharing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Well, thank you everyone for being a part of our story and our journey today. Um, if you are interested in connecting with Nancy, if you need that support, if you need to know that you are loved and you are not alone, Please know that you can reach out to her. You can reach out to us here at the SOAR Community Network, and we'd be happy to support you in any way that we can. Thank you again for your time. Thank you all for being a part of our community, our network. We know we brought you a powerful, powerful topic today, and we are here to help you soar in whatever area of life you need support with. Thank you, and we'll be talking to you very, very soon, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.